A couple weeks ago when I was in Florida, it was Friday night, we were at my grandfather's house, and we decided to go to Golden Corral for dinner. Now, I had not been to Golden Corral or any buffet in quite a while, and uh, so I was really looking forward to it. I like it. Get a lot of food for not as much money. It's a good deal. So, you know, I threw on my sweatpants. Got to get the stretchy ones when you go to Golden Corral. You can't wear a tight belt because that's no good. And, uh, you know, we got to Golden Corral. When I got there, I get the plate, you know, and I go up to the buffet, and I just start piling stuff on. You get the mac and cheese. You get the mashed potatoes. You get the popcorn shrimp. There's ribs now. I didn't know Golden Corral had ribs. I got really excited. It's like sweet, and they're not bad either. They're pretty decent ribs. Got some ribs. You know, get, you put a roll on top, whatever. So I sat down at the table, and I started eating. And, and I tweeted about this. Some of you may, may have noticed that you probably forgot because it was two weeks ago. But, but as I was eating, I had this big pile of food on my plate. And so you just kind of start at the top with whatever's easiest. And so by the time I got to the bottom of the plate, I was like, oh, I forgot I got that. That's awesome. It's like a surprise at the bottom of the buffet plate because you got such a big pile. And so yeah, I loved it because every time, you know, I had a couple plates, whatever. And it was like each time, hey, look, it's like a surprise meal. This is wonderful. You ever find something you forgot you had? Like, you ever, like, you clean your room and you're like, dude, I did not know I owned that shirt. I did not know that was in my, like, I did not know that was an option for me to wear, right? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're in 2 Kings chapter 22, and uh, as a little background here, this is the kingdom of Judah. Israel and Judah had split by this point, and Judah had had inconsistent leadership. Let's just call it that. It was inconsistent at best and downright evil at worst. Uh, they had some good kings, but they also had some really terrible kings. And so some of the kings were following the law and the, you know, the faith that God had brought to them back with Abraham and Isaac and Moses and yada, yada, yada. But many of them had not. So they've been inconsistent in their following of God. Any of you guys, and again, this is one of those be really honest things, how many of you have ever been inconsistent with your devotional time? Like, like, <laughs> not consistent, right. Like sometimes you're really good about it for a couple weeks or a couple months or whatever, and then you go times where you don't pick up your Bible for two weeks, whatever, right? Okay, we've all been there. My hand is the first to go up, okay? Everybody has been that. So we can kind of understand where they're coming. Now, they had got so inconsistent that they had literally lost the law that Moses had given them. Now, for us, that's like, okay, a book right it's not that big no this is like a scroll thing it's, it's not a small thing and they should have kept it right there in the temple where everybody could find it but they had literally lost the law so imagine the first five books of the bible just in like big big honking scroll form right this is what they had literally lost so that's where we are kind of when this story picks up we're in second kings chapter 22 and i'm just going to pick a few verses out here kind of summarize the story starting in verse one Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. I don't think I had that one up there. But uh, now he's eight-year-old when he becomes king. It's a pretty good gig when you're an eight-year-old, right? Get to be the king at the age of eight. I know when I was eight, I was the king of my room, and that's pretty much it, right? And even that I couldn't really control because it was never clean. So this is a pretty good deal. Well, in the 18th year of his reign, which somebody do the quick math, 18 plus 8, 26, 26, okay, which is my age right now. So imagine somebody my age, he's already been the king for 18 years. And uh, this is what happens. We're in verse 8 now. This one I do have up there. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it 
from it, read from it in the presence of the king. Now, be honest. How many of you guys right now can tell me where your Bible is? And I'm not talking about your phone. I'm talking about your paper Bible. Most of you know where it is. How many of you, your Bible has dust on it because you haven't picked it up in months? Okay, most of you. Okay, that's okay. Again, I'm not, I'm not judging because there have been times in my life where that was absolutely the case. Now, the reason I talk about your paper Bible as opposed to your, your phone or your iPad version is because if you're like me, especially on the phone, especially on the phone, you'd be like, all right, I'm going to read. I'm going to get into this thing. I'm going to do the eat this book thing. And you sit down and you start reading the Bible and, you, and you're doing your thing. And then you get that little notification up at the top. And you're like, nope, not going to look at it. Not going to look at it. I'm going to keep reading. I got this. I'm, but you're distracted now. You're like, Who's that from? Or you can see the name and maybe like the preview of it, right? You can see like the first three words of the text and you're like, I wonder what the rest of that sentence is. I want to know. And then you end up looking at it, right? Let's be honest. We've all been there, okay? And again, myself included in there, which that's why I like to read out of this or my iPad because I don't have texting and stuff on my iPad, obviously. So my iPad is a little better than my phone, but I almost never read on my phone because I get easily distracted. I get the Facebook notification or whatever it may be. So that's why I'm talking about this. So that's what happened. They found the Bible, and they hadn't read it in a long time. Like the king probably, he might not have ever heard this, seen this book in his life, obviously, because it had been lost. So we're going to move on here to the next, next verse. We're in verses 11 through 13. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Achaham, Achaham son of Shaphan, Achbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Now, immediately after he hears the book, all of a sudden the words of God are read to him and immediately he's sad. Why is he sad, somebody? Why, why does he get sad? He tears his clothes, it says. Why is he that sad about this? Yes, ma'am. Because he hadn't been following the words, right? He, he feels convicted. He's like, man, we've got this book of laws, this covenant that God has given us that if we'll follow these, he'll bless us and we haven't been following them. So he's immediately sad. And, and, and that's, the natural, that's the natural tendency when you really get into Scripture, when you get back into it for the first time in a while, your natural tendency is to be drawn back into it, to be drawn back to God. That's what the scriptures are for. That's what they do. Part of the reason they do that is because they are the words of God, okay? We know in 2 Timothy 3, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, just in case you don't know this, Timothy was written to a young pastor, Okay, and 1 Timothy 4.12 says, do not, look, do not let them look down on you because you are young. Paul's writing this. He said, hey, young people, the Bible is useful for you. That's what Paul says when he's writing to Timothy. And the, what the scriptures do is they draw people back to God. And some of you, you're maybe not real close to God right now. Like, like I said, we've all been inconsistent. We've all had those times. You, you, you know, you want to get back into it? Right here. This is where. Okay, this is, this is where it starts. It's right here in the scriptures. I'm going to read a story for you guys. This is a true story. It's a, it's a uh, kind of a, a short autobiography of, of this woman. And, and this woman is a lesbian professor, okay, like hardcore, left-wing, liberal, lesbian professor. That's who she is. So just kind of listen to this. The word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. 
No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. As a university professor, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians in particular were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark, to end it rather than to deepen it. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. As a professor of English and women's studies, on the track to becoming a tenured radical, I cared about morality, justice, and compassion. Fervent for the worldviews of Freud, Hegel, and Marx, and Darwin, I strove to stand with the disempowered. I valued morality, and I probably could have stomached Jesus and his band of warriors if it wasn't for how other cultural forces buttressed the Christian right. Pat Robertson's quip from the 1992 Republican National Convention pushed me over the edge. Feminism, he sneered, encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism, and become lesbians. <laughs> Indeed. The surround sound of Christian dogma commingling co with the Republican politics demanded my attention. I began researching the religious right and their politics of hatred against queers like me. To do this, I would need to read the one book that had, in my estimation, gotten so many people off track, the Bible. While on the lookout for some Bible scholar to aid me in my research, I launched my first attack on the unholy trinity of Jesus, Republican politics, and patriarchy in the form of an article in the local newspaper about promise keepers. It was 1997. The article generated many rejoinders, so many that I kept a Xerox box on each side of my desk, one for hate mail, one for fan mail. But one letter I received defied my filing system. It was from the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind and inquiring letter. Ken Smith encouraged me to explore the kind of questions I admire. How did you admire at your, how did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know that you are right? Do you believe in God? Ken didn't argue with my article. Rather, he asked me to defend the presuppositions that I undergirded it. I didn't know how to respond, so I threw it away. Later that night, I fished it out of the recycling bin and put it back on my desk, where it stared at me for a week, confronting me with the worldview divide that demanded a response. Ken's letter punctured the integrity of my research project without him knowing it. I'm going to skip down a little bit here. I started reading the Bible. I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. At a dinner gathering my partner and I were hosting, my transgendered friend Jay cornered me in the kitchen. She put her large hand over mine. This Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria, she warned. With tremors I whispered, Jay, what if it's true? What if Jesus is a real and risen Lord? What if we are all in trouble? Jay exhaled deeply. Rosaria, she said, I was a Presbyterian minister for 15 years. I prayed that God would heal me, but he didn't. If you want, I will pray for you. I continued reading the Bible, all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired. But the Bible got to be bigger inside me than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. Then one Sunday morning, I rose from the bed of my lesbian lover and an hour later sat in a pew at the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. Conspicuous with my butch haircut, I reminded myself that I came to meet God, not to fit in. The image that came in waves of me and everyone I loved suffering in hell vomited into my consciousness and gripped me in its teeth. I fought with everything I had. I did not want this. I did not ask for this. I counted the costs, and I did not like the math on the other side of the equal sign. Then, one ordinary day, I came to Jesus open-handed and naked. In this world of worldviews, Ken was there. Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. 
Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the role of my world. I bleakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace, then community, and today in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mother. I have not forgotten the blood Jesus surrendered for this life, and my former life lurks in the edges of my heart, shiny and still like a knife. Now, I read that scripture, I read there that, not scripture, that story, this, this firsthand account from this lady, and the one thing that jumped out at me, and I don't know if you caught this, but man, it hit me right, in the, right between the eyes. She said, but the Bible got to be bigger inside me than I was. It overflowed into my world. Wes, go ahead and get some music playing, would you? The question is, can you say that about the Bible? Can I say that at the Bible? Like, honestly, the answer isn't no right now. Or the answer is no right now. The Bible is not bigger inside me than I am. The Bi- you know. But when you read this story, the power of her, her conversion, solely because she began reading the Bible, she was totally anti-Christianity, hardcore, liberal. And yet the Bible, the power of the words of God struck her so deeply on the love of the Christians that she encountered, not because they were hitting her over the head with the Bible, but because they, they conversed with her, they talked with her. They made her think, and they asked questions that caused her to think. And the power of the Bible and the Holy Spirit working through it radically changed this woman's life. So tonight the challenge is this. Are you letting the Bible have that much power in your life? Are you really allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you through the scriptures that God has given us? For most of us, the answer is probably no. Like I said, for me, I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. I'm not there yet. Now going back to our, our, our story in 2 Kings, you see, it would have been very easy for Josiah to say, you know what, we're this far gone. It's been 60 years since we've had a good king before him. What the heck? Why start now? Why, why, why try and catch up? But verses 19 and 20. The Lord said, Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. You see, Josiah could have very easily given up. He could have said, you know what, we're this far gone. I as well forget it now. But he didn't. He said, you know what, I may have missed a lot. We've been, we're way behind on this thing. But now's as good a time to start as any. And, he, and the Lord blessed him for that. The Lord said, you know what? There's still some punishment going to come, but because of your repentance, because you have, have come back to the words that I've given you, you're going to be blessed because of it. You're not going to see the punishment. I'm going to save it till after you're gone. So tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would, I just want you to honestly think to yourself, not looking around, we're not even going to do a hand-raising thing or nothing like that. I just want you to focus on yourself and your relationship with God and, and, and say to yourself, one of two things. Number one, maybe you've never really started 
reading the Bible. You never really got into it. Or number two, maybe you did and you've fallen apart or you've fallen away. Maybe this year when we started the Eat This Book Challenge, you started with us and you made it a couple weeks or a month or two months or whatever, but you haven't done it in a while until you're way behind. That's all right. I was behind. I caught up a few weeks ago, but I, I spent a pretty good chunk of this year, a few days, like a week behind, just being honest. I was tweeting them out every day, but I was still behind. I'd go forward and read what, was, what I was supposed to be reading that day and then go back to where I actually was. See, wherever you are, you can start right now. You can start tonight. You can start tomorrow morning. You allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to, to infiltrate your mind and your soul. You say, I haven't been keeping up with the Eat This Book. That's okay. Start with us. Just catch up. We're in, uh, we're in the book of... We're in the book of Job, Job chapter 1, tomorrow morning. Job chapter 1, Psalm 122. Follow us on Twitter, look, look, look up to Facebook, okay? Just, you know, it's, it's easy to find. I give it to you every week. I'm trying to make this as easy for you as possible to know because the Word of God is powerful. It's useful, like Paul wrote. So my challenge to you is get back into the Word, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been out of it, get into it. If you don't want to start with us, you just say, I want to read something on my own, fine. Start at Matthew. Read through Acts. Read those five books at your own pace. And then, come and then that's a great starting place. And then you can move on from there. You can ask me about that kind of stuff. But, but get into it. Allow the Word to do what it's supposed to do. Allow the Word to, to do the things that God wants to do in you. You say, man, I'm having trouble withstanding certain temptations. Yeah, Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word is what helps us resist those temptations. The word is what helps us resist those temptations. Say, I'm not good enough to read the Bible. Nobody's good enough. This is holy, man. None of us deserve it. That's what grace is. God gave it to us despite the fact that we didn't deserve it. So God wants relationship with you, and, and, and it can start right here with finding that thing you had forgotten you had or maybe you hadn't looked at in a while. Take some time. Shut off the distractions, you know, for 15 minutes. You'll survive without your phone, I promise. And allow the Word of God to infiltrate your, your life, to do what, what God wants to do through His Word. Heavenly Father, tonight, God, my prayer is simply that you would draw us into you. God, the Word of God, the Word that you've given us is so good, it's so powerful. And I pray, Lord, that each student here would allow the Word to, to affect them for the better. God, to, to, to change their words, to change the way they talk, to change the way they treat those around them, to change the way they play, to change the way they work, to change the way that that they enjoy life, God, because you have so much better for us than what we can do on our own. And so I pray that your word would just overwhelm us, Lord, that your, your spirit would draw us into it. God, that, that each time we read it, no matter how many times we've read a certain passage, that you would, would hit us again with something fresh, that, that whatever it is we're reading would be like it's the first time. God, you would continue to teach us your word. 
God, I pray that I would be a good teacher of the Word. Lord, let me be faithful to what you've written and in and, and, and my teaching these students, God. God, I just pray that, that as we get ready for camp and we're, we're preparing for this incredible uh, life-changing week, Lord, that we would not wait till that to start this. God, that in preparation we would begin digging into your word and getting to know you again or maybe for the first time. Lord, that, that camp would not be the beginning but would be a continuation of revival that starts because of, because of your word. God, we thank you. We love you because you have good plans for us. God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.